Welcome to the Clear Admit MBA Admissions Podcast. I'm Graham Richmond, and this is your Wiretaps for Monday, December 18th, 2023. For more than 100 years, Emory University's Goisueta Business School has been a training ground for principal leaders and a laboratory for powerful insights. Whether you're looking to accelerate your career or make a career pivot, Emory's one-year and two-year full-time MBA programs prepare you for a lifetime of career confidence. Learn more about Emory's top 20 MBA with top five career outcomes, offering world-class academics and small-by-design classes delivered in a dynamic, global city. More at emory.biz slash clearadmit. I'm joined by Alex Brown from Cornwall, England. Alex, how are things going? Very good. Thank you, Graham. So another busy week on the wires last week. I mean, the big names, a lot of big names offering their round one decisions, but give us a rundown of like what happened and is there anything left or do we get to breathe a sigh of relief here and head into the holidays now? <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, last week was the second of two decision weeks where all the top programs over those two weeks basically rolled out their round one um, decisions for the most part. Um, yeah, nothing next week, as far as I'm aware, in terms of the top programs releasing decisions. I think that's all, um, all, all completed. Now, there are a few that do rolling decisions, you know, like Stern or, you know, whatever. That's always a bit of a mystery to me. But, um, <laughs> but, um, but, but yeah, I mean, last week, you know, we saw um, Kellogg, Sloan. Um, we saw Columbia. Columbia, there's a bit of speculation when they were going to release their um, decisions, but they 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 came out um, um, on 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 Wednesday of last week, so that was right. very good of them. Um, they they have a bit of a, a funky process, Graham. I just <laughs> asked you about this a little bit. They release decisions, um, but I don't think they make scholarship decisions until February. Yeah, that's been the case in the past. Yeah, yeah, it's counter to what the other programs are doing, other than Harvard and Stanford, which is all sort of needs based. But all the other programs merit-based, right. when they release a decision, they release the scholarship decision too. I think that puts Columbia a bit of a disadvantage, Graham. I agree. In fact, I, I'm going to give them a year because I suspect they will change this over time, just as they changed the early decision and you know did away with it. But yeah, yeah you have to think. I mean, someone's staring at an ex- what is usually a kind of an exploding offer, like you have a certain amount of time to put in your deposit if you're going to take an offer somewhere. And you don't know about your Columbia offer in terms of what money may come through. You know, you're you might lean the other way. So yeah, I think it's um it's a challenge for them. So we'll see how it how it plays out. But yeah, for now, yeah, there's no if you've got an offer at Columbia, you don't necessarily know how much money they're going to give you. So yeah, they even just lose about a month's worth of sort of marketing mm-hmm. and, and connection and right. stuff, right? So um, so I think yeah, that that's something Columbia should really um, take a look at. But anyway. Yeah. Um, yeah, lots of decisions last week. I mean, we'll still see activity on Livewire over the next um, um, few weeks, yeah. but it won't be, um, you know, the, the <laughs> sort of explosive sort of decision releases that we, yeah. we're we seeing. The, the, the next big date is January 4th, Graham. Do you know what's happening on January 4th? I have an idea. Yeah. Do you want to tell me? Is it is it that there are like five schools or 10 schools with deadlines that day or something for round two? Yeah. Stanford, Wharton, Booth, Tuck, Slow, uh, not Slow, uh, Stanford, Wharton, Booth, Tuck, Yale, Haas, <laughs> 
Darden, Anderson, McDonough and Foster ah. all have their round two application deadlines. So we should call that Terrible Thursday or, yeah. or, you know, we should come up with some acronym for that. I mean, the day before, Harvard and LBS have their round two applications. But it's it's yeah. just boggles my mind that, you know, all these application deadlines are right around two or three days of, of, of the first week of, of, of the new year. Yeah, so that, you know, advice to listeners, don't party too hard for New Year's Eve because you might have to write essays and polish things up in the 24 hours that, that follow to get everything ready for some of these schools. But yeah, I've never, I mean, I know why they do it. You know, they're going to be coming back from their vacations probably on the 8th or something. And so they want all the apps that we talked about that last week. So it is what it is. But yeah, so crazy times. I think this week will be relatively qu- calmer, but I do encourage everyone to keep, you know, reporting your results. I mean, it's fascinating to see these results. And uh, as everyone knows, it's great to mine the live wire data and just sort of see historic outcomes. Uh, we do have um, some things coming up. You know, one thing I wanted to mention is on January 3rd, we'll have our monthly Clear Admit Plus webinar, which really, Alex, is kind of an ask me anything with you and I. It's kind of office hours, whatever you want to call it. Uh, we've been having a blast with that. So please come out for that. It's always at the same time. So it's uh, January 3rd and it's at noon Eastern. Uh, and you just have to be a registered user on clearadmit.com in order to join us, which costs you nothing. We also have an event later in January that, that I wanted to mention, which is a real humans event. So we're going to um, have a panel of current students and alumni from top programs. So that event is January 24th from 8 p.m. to 9 p.m. Eastern. So very much geared, I guess, a little bit more towards the U.S. market, given the timing. Uh, and then, but but because we're talking with students and alums, we have to do it in the evening because they're all busy <laughs> during the day. Uh, but you can sign up for that now by going to bit.ly forward slash CA real humans, all one word, all lowercase. So I'm looking forward to that. Uh, Alex, I, I got to get your take. One big news item that happened last week, although... We could speculate as to, is it really news when someone's just aggregating somebody else's work? But, well, you know, P&Q did their ranking of rankings, um, and they do this every year. Uh, they, they basically take all the major rankings or the rankings that they deem to be major, and they weight them according to which ones the P&Q editorial staff thinks are most important, and they come up with this aggregate ranking. Um, so I'm going to, I'll just rattle off the top 16 since we often focus on that group. Um, so here you go. Stanford, number one, Harvard, Tuck. Columbia, Yale, Duke, Cornell, Virginia, Michigan, NYU Stern, Chicago Booth, Kellogg, UCLA, MIT, Berkeley, and Carnegie Mellon University. So that's the top 16. Is there anybody missing from that list in your mind, Alex? So really interesting <laughs> top 16, Graham. I mean, obviously Wharton's missing. Yeah, Wharton's missing, um, yeah. But if you added Wharton to that, I would say that's the top 17 programs in the in the United States. Yeah, but you, you could safely say that, I think, yeah. Not in that order, right. necessarily. <laughs> yeah, that's the problem, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I think, um, so just so people know, Wharton is not in it because Wharton didn't take part in the Financial Times ranking. And I guess for some reason, I don't, I, you know, P&Q must have met about this, but they they decided they would give Wharton zero points for that ranking. Um, and so that lowered their average substantially, as you might imagine, because the FT comprises, I can't remember what it is, is it like 20 or 30% of this overall <laughs> ranking? So they tanked down and landed at number 31. Uh, the only other school that we sometimes see in the kind of top 16 or top, certainly top 20 is USC, and they were listed Marshall at number 22. So a little bit off there too. Do you know what five rankings comprise the aggregate PNQ ranking, Alex? Could you, I, you know, could you name them? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'd, I'd heard of 
a couple of them. Um, yeah. Obviously, the recent LinkedIn one, which I think is uh, it is what what it is, mm. and yeah, the Princeton Review one. I I, I re- I've not really looked at that one, so I don't even know yeah. much a- about that one. Frankly, U.S. news to me is the the. Um, gold standard of the U.S. rankings, even though last season that was a little bit um, skew with. I do know. I did actually read the P and Q article because okay. I was. I, I wanted to get under the the hood a little bit about their decision to drop Wharton like they did. Yeah, and they were reasonably damning on Wharton. Yeah, and they, yeah. Um, so yeah. what? It wasn't just that Wharton decided not to participate in the FT rankings, right. but they couldn't get enough alums to respond. That's right. And they made the speculation that that's because of X, Y, and Z, mm-hmm. and a lot of dissatisfaction, which, you know, aside from listening to it from from um, John Byrne, Poets and Quants, I, I'd not really heard a lot of that rhetoric. Yeah, you um, know. So I don't know yeah. um, um, its veracity. I will say, as much as... I'm not really a fan of, 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 of this particular ranking or whatever. John Byrne is the rankings innovator. Yeah, he started so, them at business. You know, kudos yeah. to, to, to what he did getting the business week rankings out. But yeah, I, I don't know. Putting Wharton at number 31 is just not realistic. Yeah, so so the rankings that comprise this aggregate are US News, FT, Business Week, and then LinkedIn and the Princeton Review. Those two are you know a little bit more puzzling to me because um, I don't think they hold as much sway. Obviously, LinkedIn's like literally brand new. Um, but Forbes, I guess, didn't do their ranking recently, so they're not in here. The, the only thing I would say about Wharton is that, yeah, I've seen those articles that have been run about, oh, students were unhappy that, that P&Q was run. But- you know, I, this could just as easily, when it comes to the FT, have been a scenario where, you know, the person managing the process for Wharton didn't chase down alums and get them to fill it out the way maybe some other schools are doing. And right. so, I mean, it's still inexcusable. And I mean, Wharton needs to be in that ranking. And I don't want to, I'm not going to make any apologies for them. But the problem I have is that because they're at 31 in this ranking, it's not like people who get into, say, I don't know, a school ahead of them. Um, let's take USC Marshall. They're at 22. Does that mean that everyone that gets in USC Marshall is going to go there over Wharton? No. I mean, so that's, that's where it's just not useful um, at this point. And so yeah. I, I don't know how they made the decision. And and even, you know, as you say, that top 16, like this is why tiers make so much more sense. And I know we kind of, yeah. <laughs> we say this probably every other week on the show. But so so anyway, I, I just wanted to mention, it's kind of big news in the industry. I've always, I've always found it kind of amusing that they get so much um, action around something that's really just an aggregate. It's it just, it's pretty fascinating to me. Um, you know, they don't even do their own ranking, but people think of it as a ranking um, because they're just, you know, uh, compiling somebody else's work. So it's kind of funny. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, I, the concept's pretty good, right? Yeah. No, it makes sense. I mean, the idea is if you, if you aggregate four or five rankings together, it should help arrive at the truth. Sort of you know, reduce the the variance and so on and so forth. Um, so, so I yeah, I think the concept's good. It's fine, but I I don't like I don't think this decision of, of, of dropping Wharton because of the Financial Times debacle um, for whatever reasons yeah. um, helps um, this aggregate ranking. Yeah, for, for the reasons you 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 you've articulated. Yeah. So anyway, we should probably move on because we have a bunch of stuff to cover. And and this is actually the first week this season where we're going to do two apply wire entries. So two candidates that we're going to kind of profile and, and analyze. But then also there's a decision wire post that we're going to talk about, somebody who's undecided about where to go. So we'll get into that momentarily. I did want to run down a couple of other things. The first is that we put up an admissions tip on the site that's called Five Tips for Making the Best 
of the MBA waitlist. Unfortunately, there are quite a few people who are waitlisted in round one. And so we put that up. You should read that. Um, just real quick, the, the five tips are know and follow the rules, communicate if you can, keep in touch. So it's not like a one and done sort of scenario. Um, learning about letters of support and then have a contingency plan, which means don't assume you're going to get in <laughs> off the wait list. Uh, so that's that's kind of the tips. You can read more about each of them in, in detail on the site. Uh, the other thing is we did run some more real humans. We connected with a whole bunch of students. So we, we connected with uh, six students at Washington University Olin. We also talked with six students at IMD, and I was kind of laughing. I mean, their program is really small, so that's like a high percentage of their student body. So six students from IMD, and then we connected with five students over at Chicago Booth. So those are all up. Great um, insights from current students about how they applied, why they chose the school they're at, and you know everything else. I mean, advice they'd like to give to future candidates. So read those if you're applying to any of those three programs. I'll ask you a quick question on that, Graham. Yeah. If we had a European ranking, mm -hmm. where would you place IMD? Oh, that's a good question. So when I first got into this business, like literally, I'm not even, well, more than 25 years ago, um, Europe was known as being, you know, there were three schools in Europe that people talked about and they were LBS, INSEAD and IMD. Um, and then things have changed. You know, the landscape shifted, Oxford and Cambridge introduced their MBAs. Um, but I would still put IMD as one of the best schools in Europe. I mean, it's a really small program. It's in Switzerland. They have a fantastic placement record. Um, it, it's, you know, and it's the only thing I would say is it's different because it starts in January and it's short format too. So um, I think it's, you know, it's probably really appealing to certain candidates out there. But I throw it in the group with, you know, ESA and and Cambridge, Oxford and, and LBS INSEAD. I mean, it's a really good school. Don't you think that this January start date harms them? I do. I You know, I actually ask them like, hey, why not, you know, and, and and they, they've just been on this calendar. And there are some other European programs that have that calendar. Um, ESMT in Berlin is one. Uh, but yeah, it is an interesting decision. I mean, in, you know, INSEAD has a January start date too. I think one of the issues is that they're a very small program, so they don't, I don't think they have the bandwidth to run two start times the way INSEAD does. Otherwise, they probably would. They might have, a, you know, both a September and a January start, but they, you know, it's kind of a, a smaller program. And so um, short of maybe building a new building, I don't know how they would do it. So. And I don't know why they start in January and not yeah. September anyway. <laughs> it is interesting. So, uh, all right, last thing, we did uh, run our analyses of employment reports for MIT, Berkeley, and Wharton. So three really big top programs. So I'll just run through some numbers. I'm curious to get your take, Alex. So with MIT, we'll start there. 75% of their graduating class was looking for work, right? So the, the other 25% were either returning to a sponsored employer, going on for further graduate study, or 8% of them were starting their own business. 90% of those seeking employment had an offer within three months of graduation, and the median salary was $170,000. Uh, so those are the kind of basic numbers. And then when we get into kind of industry, 34% went into consulting. That's up a little bit from 31% last year. 24% went into tech. That's actually up a tick from 23% last year. And then 20% into finance. That's down 3%. 6% healthcare, 3% consumer packaged goods. Uh, in terms of the regional placements, 45% landed in the Northeast. That's actually down quite a bit. It was 54% last year. 24% uh, went out West and that's up from 19%. So interesting, uh, kind of bucking the trend there with MIT. 7% uh, to the Southwest, 7% Mid-Atlantic, 6% South and 4% Midwest. Any thoughts on MIT? I, I want to hear the other ones. Uh, okay, all right, all right. So we'll go... <laughs> <laughs> so Berkeley, 
Um, Berkeley had 87% seeking employment, so more than the 75% that were looking for jobs at, at MIT, um, and only 3% running, kind of starting their own company, so a little bit smaller there. Uh, again, 90% who were looking for jobs had offers within three months, and the median salary is $166,000. 30% of Berkeley grads who are looking for work and finding jobs uh, went into tech. Uh, so that's the number one field for them. 28% close on the heels is consulting. 15% went into finance, 8% healthcare, 7% energy. Uh, and then when it comes to regional facts and figures, 75% uh, of Haas grads stay on the West Coast, 9% uh, go to the Northeast, 5% to the South, 4% Southwest, 2% Midwest, and 1% Mid-Atlantic. So Berkeley a little bit more centered on the Western portion of the United States. Uh, Wharton numbers, 73% seeking employment. So it's it's so interesting because we saw with like um, Stanford and Harvard last week, you know, th there's these lower percentages seeking employment at the top schools. And I think it's because so many of them are doing their own thing or, you know, so, uh, or maybe they're sponsored, et cetera. So 4% of Wharton grads um, are running, starting their own business. 97% uh, of Wharton grads had, who are looking for work, had an offer within three months. That's kind of a, a that figure stands out to me a little bit because remember the other two schools we just talked about were at 90. So 97% have jobs at Wharton, yeah. 175,000 median salary. Uh, Number one industry, finance, at 37%. That's off a little bit from 39. 28% uh, went into consulting. That's up 4%. And 17.2% went into tech. The reason I'm sharing that point too is because last year it was 16.9. So, you know, really close, but up a tiny bit. 6% um, go to healthcare, 4% consumer packaged goods. And then when it comes to where people land geographically, 48% in the Northeast, 21% out West, 9% Mid-Atlantic, 7% Midwest, 5% South, 5% Southwest. And those numbers are pretty stable, although the West Coast number is down a little bit. It was 25% last year and it's 21% this year. So um, that's, yeah, and, and it seems like all of that shift ended up boosting the Northeast number, which is up a little bit too. So yeah, what do you make of all these? I mean, three different schools and, you know, MIT... The biggest kind of industry was consulting, Berkeley, tech, Wharton finance. So that's kind of interesting. But what, what do you observe in, in these numbers? Yeah, I mean, it, I think it is interesting. The the average salary, Wharton 175, I think that's might even be lower than some of the New York schools. It's possible. So I forget what they were reporting at, Columbia and Stern. Um, so um, the finance number at 37%, I'd love to know the breakout, like, buy side versus sell side because mm -hmm. we had this conversation last week with harvard and stanford a lot of buy side finance um employment um and wharton is the one other program that i think could have a, a good sort of skew in that direction right that's correct. um but yeah 37 percent um for for financial services um and 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 yeah overall nothing really surprising here um, I obviously, if you go to Haas, you're going there because you either on the West Coast, staying on the West Coast, or you want to be on the West Coast. So 75%. Yeah, that's a big I would say that skews to Northern California probably mm -hmm. um, in, in, in quite, quite a high fashion. And tech as their number one employer makes sense given their proximity to Silicon Valley. Right. 
Um, yeah. so, 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 so that's not surprising. Sloan, I thought, was quite interesting. Tech's still quite a robust number at 24%. Yeah. Um, and consulting leading the way at 34%. So, yeah, I mean, like all programs, Graham, um, these numbers are pretty impressive. Yeah, <laughs> you could say that again. Yeah, so, I mean, yeah, we're kind of splitting hairs, getting into the nitty-gritty and the nuance and stuff, but you're right. I mean, these are all pretty fantastic numbers. Most of the people looking for jobs get jobs, um, and they're making good money. I mean, these are big, <laughs> big, big numbers. So, yeah, just it's just fun to, to look at these. I think there may be still a few more coming, but those, I feel like we've done, we've talked over the last several weeks about most of the top schools, so we'll see if there's some more that... Um, materialize. Uh, one thing, as I've been saying for the last couple of weeks that Alex and I would like is um, reviews, ratings, uh, or just nice emails for the holidays. So you can reach out to us at info at use the subject line wiretaps, but please spread the word about this show. As you know, I mean, we have a great sponsor in um, Emory, uh, Gusweta, and they've been terrific about sponsoring this show, um, but we can't have that without listeners, right? So spread the word, help us keep this rolling along. Um, Alex, anything you want to add before we get into our candidates for this week? No, let's kick on. All right, so this is Wiretap's candidate number one. Our first candidate has five schools on the target list, and those schools are uh, Columbia, Tuck, Harvard, Kellogg, and Stanford. This candidate's been working in venture capital, and they have a wide range of potential target industries. I mean, they mentioned consulting, tech, um, VC, PE, et cetera. And as a result, the list of companies they're interested in joining is also quite varied. So they probably need to think through that a little bit more. Their GRE is a 327. Their GPA is a 3.01. They've got just three years of work experience and they don't say where they are, um, but we think they might be in Africa. Uh, they want to land in the United States when they're done with business school. And in the notes, they did say that they're um, you know, 25 years old, been working for three years. A couple of years of those uh, are experienced at a YC-backed product company. I wonder if that's Y Combinator or maybe it was meant to be VC. I don't know. But anyway, so they, and then they have, um, you know, couple experience, a couple years of experience at a venture capital firm. And it sounds like they've done quite a bit when it comes to like sort of African um, venture capital and, and things like that. There's some round tables and things that they've been involved in. And they're, uh, they, they have, you know, done some work with Google, some sort of a program um, that Google did where they ended up training students for that and um, pe- people are now working in tech. So Alex, you, you went back and forth with this candidate a little bit to get some additional information, but what do you make of their candidacy? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think we, we go along with the assumption that they're based in Africa mm-hmm. um, as, as a black African, which they declared. Yeah. Um, and I, I probably suspect that their work experience is, is super interesting. Let's make that assumption that they've got really strong work experience working at, in a sort of in an innovation type role, as, mm-hmm. like you say, YCVC backed product company for two years, and then in a venture capital firm. Um, and this type of experience is typically really sought after, mm-hmm. um, right? So I think to gain that type of experience, they, they probably must be pretty decent. Um, their GRE score at 327, I think that's going to be competitive for, for the top programs that they're targeting. Um, Harvard, you know, Kellogg, um, Columbia, Stanford, and, and, and Tuck. Um, I do worry a little bit about a couple of things. One is their GPA um, is on, on a relative scale is slightly lower. Yeah, three up. Um, yeah. Now, 
is computer science. Um, so that gives them a little bit of um, a, a, a leg up. But still, we get lots of engineers uh, applying with stronger GPAs. So that's that's a potential issue. With three years of work experience, too, they're, they're a little bit earlier in, in the in, 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 in the, sort of the cycle for, for, for applying or maybe for optimising their candidacy. So they're going to have to really nail that why now aspect, um, which clearly they probably can. Um, but I do worry, because they're targeting the very top programmes, that the GPA might um, um, be, be a little bit of a red flag. I don't know what they can do to tackle that, whether they... Um, whether it makes sense for, for someone like themselves to do something like MBA math or something, because there might be a lot of math in that um, transcript. Um, and also it would depend on the balance of the GRE um, score that they have. Right. Um, but um, it might mean that they, they probably look for maybe one or two more in that sort of top 16 range. Because right now it's all M7 plus Tuck, right? Um, and as we know, Tuck is in that next tier just outside the M7. So their their, tar- their list of target schools is pretty impressive. Yeah, I, I could not agree more. Like, and you were saying, what could they do? And I would say, yeah, when you have a low GPA, I mean, normally, yeah, you could take outside courses. Um, you could look at schools that are a little bit lower. Um, in the rankings, you, I mean, I don't know that I would say to retake the GRE. I mean, 327 is obviously a really good, you know, um, score. Now I will say, I mean, you know, places like Stanford, like we routinely see people with like 330 plus. So, I mean, if they felt like it would be a piece of cake for them to study a bit and get like an, an, like stellar (laughs) GRE result, I guess that could help. Um, but I think mostly it's about not putting all their eggs in one basket, which in this case is sort of the M7. And so I'm a little concerned because it's, you know, it's it's like, um, I would liken this to a low test score in the sense that, you know, the middle 80 percentile at the M7 schools is probably like three, three to, you know, three, eight or something or three, you know, like, yeah. I, and so I'm worried that they, they really will be um, a, a kind of, you know, it's going to be a long shot in terms of, you know, being one of those very few candidates who gets in with a lower GPA. But I, I would want to know more, like, where did they get this, you know, undergraduate degree? Maybe what was their class rank? I mean, there, there are a lot of other factors that could go into this. So, I mean, that that's worth noting too. But but yeah, so my advice then would be maybe cast a wider net um, and just go in with your eyes wide open when it comes to, you know, the fact that... And we don't know much about what they do outside of work. So maybe there's something really interesting there that can help sort of... Yeah. That would be good. Their, their overall profile. Agreed. Yeah. So I know you asked them, they didn't really respond to that. So it'd be good to know if they have a robust set of outside activities, because that would almost be, you know, you kind of need to have that for these top schools too. So hopefully yeah. they have something there. Uh, I do want to thank them for submitting their profile. I mean, it's, it's, it's a very interesting question because great work experience, potentially interesting personal background, maybe some good activities. Um, and so it's really just the GPA and, you know, that's a, yeah, it's a challenge, but we'll see how it turns out. Hopefully they'll keep us posted. Uh, let's move on though and talk about Wiretap's candidate number two. So our second candidate this week, Alex, this might be the first candidate that we've profiled, so far as I know, who's taken the new GMAT, the GMAT Focus Edition. Um, We'll get into that in a moment, but they have seven schools on the target list, and those schools are Columbia, Georgetown, Kellogg, NYU, UCLA, UNC, and Yale. Uh, This person's been working in private equity and um, alternative asset-based lending. They want to pivot and get into consulting in the short term. 
So they've got Bain, BCG, Ernst & Young, McKinsey on their target list. Their GMAT score is a 655. Before anyone you know, has a heart attack, um, the new test scores lower than the old test. And it also is in intervals of five, right? So we don't, that's why 655, we kind of, that's how we made the assumption that this is a new test result and not the traditional GMAT. Uh, so their GPA is a 3.6. They've got three years of work experience. They're located in Canada and they want to land in the United States. And Alex, do you want to talk about that 655? Because I know you have some context on what that means in terms of maybe the old score. And and yeah, just give us your thoughts on this candidacy overall too. Yeah, 655 GMAT, that that sends out the the sirens at first. And then you're like, (laughs) well, I better Google to see what the comparison is. Is it apples to apples, i.e. is it a 650-60 type score? Or did GMAC do something different on their scoring chart? Yeah, they did. <laughs> um, so I kind of had a suspicion that they might have done. So I did Google it. And yes, it sort of hits that 700, 710 marker. So I'm hoping that when schools report their average GMAT scores um, for the incoming class, they separate out the new to the old. Assuming they're going to do that, Graham. I mean, I don't want to start making people speculate and get nervous about that. Yeah. No, no, yeah. they they will, they will. And and I talked I talked to somebody at GMAC at the conference I was at a couple of weeks ago, and they said that it turns out that most people like so so for example, the new GMAT's available now. Um, and what that means is that next season, so not this season, but yeah. next season, like 90 some percent of people submitting a test will have the new test because it turns out that most people. No, no, I disagree, Graham. Well, they're saying I most disagree. people apply like shortly, not too long after that. It's going to, that it won't be as bad as we think in terms of like, it'll yeah. pretty quickly fade away. But anyway, I don't know. We'll see. Yeah. Yeah. But <laughs> not forgetting the traditional test will last for. Five years. Yeah, you can use it for five years. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Anyway, it just makes for an interesting conversation. It is a 655 GMAT, but schools will interpret it as a 7 to 710 um, GMAT. Okay. Um, So so that'll be good. Um, and, and, you know, that's slightly... One thing I like about this candidate, Graham, is their range of target schools is well... Yeah. It's a nice mix of M7, top 16, even um, a couple of top 20. Right. So they've they've really done a good job, I think, of sort of a lay, you know, going for the reach, going for the target, and going for the safety. Agreed. Um, um, so, so I give them a lot of credit for that. Um, so three six GPA, that's decent. I assume their work experience is, is quite good. Private equity typically that's going to be um, quite quite strong um, experience relative to other other industries. Mm-hmm. They double majored in economics and business administration. I'd, I'd, I'd like to see a little bit more about sort of what, what makes them tick outside of work. Um, um, again, they, they, some of their activities that they've, they've discussed seems almost like it's somewhat sort of work college related, but they, they are an avid racket sports enthusiast. So yeah, so they must do something. If they're a tournament winner, um, you know, whether it's tennis or squash or one of these more obscure things, it'd be good <laughs> to just ball. know a bit more about that. Um, um, but yeah, I think overall a pretty decent um, profile overall, Graham. Yeah, no, I agree. And I, they do, I mean, they're an advisor for their local fraternity chapter. They're, yes, yeah. you know, they help young adults who have disabilities. So I think they have some stuff. They just, yeah, I mean, they kind of rattled, rattled it off. And so it'd be good to know how how in-depth are these activities. But uh, yeah. And, and I did I did speak a bit out of turn there. I love the young adults with disabilities um, um 
activity. Effort. Yeah, no, it sounds like a... Obviously, yeah. then, what's interesting to me or the, the admissions reader would be why, right? So, yeah, yeah. so oftentimes when we donate to a charity or contribute to a cause, a personal experience stimulates that, right? Right, right. So it'd be good to know. Yeah, one question I have for you. This person, they dropped this little comment in there where they said, you know, they want to go to consulting and then they want to get back into the asset-based lending space, which I understand that. Like they want to get some, mm. you know, broad-based experience and then return to their roots kind of thing. But then they say in the long term, like more than 15 years from now, they'd like to get into teaching or academia. And and so I noticed you said, okay, well, I don't know if you should tell this <laughs> tell the schools that or not. But I, I wondered like, yeah, what what is your rationale? What's your take around that? Because that is something we don't see very often. Someone saying they want to teach. Yeah. I mean, at, at the end of the day, I think it's quite a, it's a good aspiration if it's sort of a, a part-time teaching gig. Some people want to go, go off and do that. Yeah. I think if it's, if it's full-time in the longer run, you know, if you're if you're targeting one of the top MBA programs, they're really looking for people to 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 really shine in in the professional arena. Even you know whether that's for profit, non profit, government, whatever. Yeah. Um, and I just don't know. You get the same kudos for saying, "Well, I want to come back to your school and teach," um, right. sort of thing. Now, teachers have really good impact to the folks that they're teaching. So I'm not. Oh yeah. Well, dismissing you teach. <laughs> the, I mean, I teach, right? So I can't yeah. say it's a, it's a bad thing, but but I don't know for the top programs whether I would um, broach th- that. Yeah. I mean, I think it's well, great that they've got a long term fifteen plus goal, and I would stick to that. Yeah, I think. I mean, my view is if it's a side gig, um, which we see a lot of successful business people coming back to school and and doing like a course or you know, so that could be fine. Um, but yeah, otherwise, it's a little bit of a curveball to me. I think. This candidate's main hurdle when it comes to getting into some of the top schools on their list might end up being that test score, um, you know, mm. because they will be a little bit maybe south of what schools are, are looking for, but they're not too far and it is the new test and maybe there's some wiggle room, you know, you never know. Um, so yeah. we'll see how that all goes. Um, but I want to thank them for sharing their profile and engaging with you on, on Livewire to kind of answer some additional questions you had. Um, we've got one more candidate this week, so let's move into Wiretap's candidate number three. So this is a decision wire entry, Alex, that you picked, which tells me that we're now into that kind of part of the season. I love this. This is where instead of profiling someone's candidacy, we look at the outcome and, you know, usually it's a situation where the person doesn't know which school to attend. So I'll give you the, the stats on this person and I can't wait to hear what you, what you think they should do. Um, so they applied to Tuck, Kellogg and Darden. Okay. And it turns out that they were waitlisted at Kellogg um, and admitted to Dartmouth, where they were also offered a $40,000 scholarship. And then they were also admitted to UVA Darden, but without any money. They're going to be starting school this fall, so they got to make this decision. Uh, they want to get into either consulting or investment banking, so they don't seem to quite know yet um, which of those two. Their GMAT score was a 740, and their GPA was a 3.53, in case you're curious. And they said, um, you know, I don't know that they're actually on the waitlisted Kellogg. I may have misspoke. I think they said they're still waiting on the Kellogg results. So they may know that now because Kellogg's been issuing decisions all last week, right? So, um, so they may know now. But they said, if I get an offer without financial aid at Kellogg, should I take that over Tuck with 40K? 
and they're saying, I'm assuming it's Tuck versus Darden, that, that between Tuck versus Darden, Tuck is the better choice, uh, especially with the money, but I'm trying to understand the Kellogg versus Tuck comparison. Of course, Kellogg is an M7, but Tuck is an Ivy League. Given my post-MBA goal of consulting, not sure which is better. So that's where the where they kind of left it. And you chimed in, and then Elliot on our team chimed in. So what do you make of this, Alex? Yeah, they're waiting on Kellogg's results as they posted this. I think they got admitted to Kellogg, if I'm interpreting some of the other conversations I've seen. But who knows whether they did or not. But, okay. Um, um, it, it's, it's interesting because... If you, if you think of three programs that are really geared for consulting, um, they said consulting and investment banking, but let's focus on consulting. And I think... Yeah, because they did say that seems to be their first goal. Yeah, yeah I think so. I, I think, you you yeah, Kellogg, Tuck and, and Darden are three really <laughs> good bad. programs for consulting preparation. Right. Um, so so, so I, I admire them for their selection of target programs. Mm-hmm. Um, now, getting money at Tuck versus no money at Darden, you could argue that, yeah, Tuck is probably in the tier above anyway. Um, but but the, the, the money whether be. it is or it isn't, depending on how you would think of tiers, um, that money, I think, is enough to, to make Tuck a bit more attractive. You would then look at maybe some geographic sort of mm-hmm. things. Does Darden feed into a certain geography better than Tuck if you if you have a certain geographic interest? But but yeah, I think Tuck's probably the 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 winner in in that sort of face off um, because again, Tuck is offering um, 40, offering some money. Yeah, and it's it's not it's nice to be able to see forty thousand because usually when I clicked on them, it would hyperlink over and drive me nuts. So <laughs> yeah, that's um, a new on thing. our site, but that's <laughs> fixed. So I can see the forty thousand. That's good. Yeah. Um, so the question is, if they got admitted to Kellogg with no money, um, should they go to Kellogg or Tuck plus forty thousand? Mm. And I think that on the whole, that's a very personal decision. There's no one's the winner versus the other in in that. Um, I think that little bit of money at Tuck does elevate Tuck a little bit. And I would argue that Kellogg is in the higher tier. Now, I know that Tuck's an Ivy League, Kellogg's an M7. But, you know, we're talking about MBA programs. In my book, Kellogg trumps Tuck um, from, from that tiering structure. Um, but Elliot brings up the good point that, again, geography might be the, um, the factor that drives the decision. If they want to go to the West Coast or the Midwest, then Kellogg. If they want to be on the East Coast, then that does make Tuck more attractive. Yeah, I think he made a really good point um, with, with respect to that. I mean, obviously, there are graduates of both programs everywhere, um, but... You know, Tuck has a bit of a competitive advantage in the Northeast, I would argue, um, especially yeah. that's where that Ivy League network kind of, you know, plays a role too. Um, but Kellogg, you know, does an amazing job placing people out West and, and obviously in the Midwest. And so, it, yeah, it. I don't know. I mean, this is also maybe a fit question too, right? These programs aren't of the same size. Um, and so I would obviously go to the welcome events and figure it out from there too, in case they're, you know, really feel yeah. a certain affinity to one versus the other. Um, but yeah, a nice problem. What do we call these? Champagne problems, right? So it's... Um, what, about, what about throwing an app in in round two, Graham? Oh, yeah. That's so... Well, we... Yeah, that's interesting. So they didn't apply. They only applied to those three schools. So you, you're saying, oh, what about, you know, throw an app in at, say, 
you know, HBS or, or, or something. And uh, although if they want to do consulting, you know, the, the, some of these schools might even be, you know, really well suited. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't know. Yeah, it's, it's too tempting, though. Harvard, Stanford, Wharton. <laughs> it I is mean, tempting. If yeah. you get in one of those, yeah, it's tricky. then yeah. I think all bets are off in terms of MBB recruit recruiting so so that might be consideration too it's great to be able to apply in round two knowing you've got great offers in round one yeah that's fair yeah so anyway very interesting quandary we'll probably see more of these i encourage everyone to you know post to decision wire with your results and um we we have a lot of fun talking about these so uh in any event alex we've done it uh we've we've gone through your candidates and we didn't even talk about any of the craziness happening in, in in higher ed with presidents being you know maybe fired and all everything else that's been going on in the world um, but I guess we have many weeks to come to discuss all kinds of issues. So I'll do. I'll, I'll be back in a week if you're willing to pick out some candidates to discuss. <laughs> Very good. Stay safe, everyone. Take care.